This morning we're going to be looking at verses 15 to 17 of chapter 18 of Luke. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So our focus this morning is on bringing children to Jesus. And we believe that that's necessary because we are realistic about our children. If you think that children are naturally little angels, then uh, you haven't been paying much attention over the course of your life uh, so far. Uh, Even the youngest of children have an unangelic view of life. Here, for example, is what a keen observer has described as the property laws of a toddler. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. (laughs) So if you leave children to bring up themselves, you don't end up with utopia. You end up with World War III. Children and adults are sinners. And children and adults need to be brought to Jesus. Because through Jesus... Our sins are forgiven and our lives are blessed. So this morning we're going to study together this beautiful little scene, this little cameo from uh, the ministry of our Lord Jesus. And I want to make three points. First of all, Christian children, the children of Christian parents rather, are to be set apart for God's blessing. Secondly, we are to go on bringing our children to Jesus through the training we give in our homes. And then thirdly, adults who are not yet Christians must come like little children to the Saviour if they are to be saved. So then, first of all, children are to be set apart for God's (coughs) blessing. Now, this is a text which is often used in the context of uh, the baptism of uh, the child of Christian parents. Uh, But it would be a stretch to say that it's, it's a, a, a proof text for, uh, for baptism. I think if you want to, to lay a solid foundation for uh, covenant baptism, you first of all go back to the fact that uh, baptism is a continuation of the sign in the Old Testament, which was circumcision. And circumcision was a sign that was put upon uh, believing adults and also their children. And therefore... Uh, the evidence that we have in the New Testament of household baptisms uh, and the fact that uh, the, the former way of marking out God's people was never rescinded uh, all goes to uh, bring together uh, this theology 
of covenant baptism, that we put the sign of belonging upon uh, adult believers and upon the children of adult believers. It would be extraordinary uh, if the the new covenant, which is bringing in the nations, uh, were to actually exclude a category of people uh, who had been included uh, in receiving the sign uh, in the old covenant dispensation. In fact, Jesus is warning us against such a tendency to exclude children from the kingdom and receiving the sign of promise. What's going on in uh, the the little scene here? Well, uh, there were dads and mums were bringing their children to Jesus. Uh, Sometimes assumed it was just the mothers, but uh, the 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 word uh, they is actually a masculine word, and it indicates. Parents of, of both sexes, fathers and mothers. Uh, it was children, including the youngest. Uh, Luke uses a word which specifies infants or babies in verse 15. And they came to Jesus. What did they want Jesus to do? They wanted Jesus to touch the children. And uh, Mark's version, which is the earliest of the Gospels, uh, makes it explicit Uh, tells us that Jesus took the children in his arms, touched them, and blessed them. Notice three things uh, about this blessing of the infants by Jesus. First of all, the parents had faith in Jesus. This isn't an example of uh, indiscriminate baptism of children. The background of the incident is probably the practice of pious Jewish parents uh, in Jesus' day bringing their children to a rabbi on the Day of Atonement and asking that uh, priest or rabbi to bless their children. And apparently in Jesus' ministry this happened to him uh, on several occasions because the, the verb is in the continuous tense. They kept on bringing their children to Jesus wasn't a one-off occasion. And it's significant because these parents had elected to bypass the other rabbis and they had elected to come to Jesus, specifically to Jesus, who in other respects was not recognized officially. So this wasn't some Uh, kind of laissez-faire, get the kids done approach uh, to having the sign. This was parents who were deliberately, purposefully passing by the rabbis and going to Jesus because they had found, as the disciples themselves had found, that he alone had the words of eternal life. Second, there was a real blessing involved here. They came to Jesus that he might uh, touch them and bless them. So this is no prototype for uh, the kind of child dedications that some churches practice to fill the vacuum when they don't baptize uh, the children of believers. There's no justification for that practice in the New Testament. It's of human origin. Uh, Jesus here is taking the child in his arms and blessing them so that there was a real and tangible good conferred upon the child. Uh, What is Jesus saying? He's saying they belong to the kingdom of God. They belong to the domain where God's blessings are found. That's what he's saying. 
And because that is so, thirdly, this blessing of the children by Jesus connects us with baptism. It reinforces what we know in other parts of the Bible, that children of believing parents belong within God's kingdom and are to receive the sign of belonging. Now, of course, that's, that is by necessary implication. Because, obviously, this is, Jesus is not specifically baptizing the children here. There's no water involved. But then Jesus never baptized anybody, never baptized adults or children. Uh, this is not uh, the only text on which to build a theology of covenant baptism, but it is one of those foundation stones on which we see the logic of baptizing covenant children, that the children of believing parents are to be brought to the place where the blessings of Jesus can be found. They belong to the kingdom of God. What kind of kingdom is that? It's the place where they will hear the word of God being read and preached and proclaimed. And so we baptize the children of believing parents who are doing exactly what these parents here were doing. They were coming in faith to Jesus to place their children within the sphere of kingdom blessing, committing themselves thereby to bringing up their children in the training and the nurture of the Lord. So that's the first point. The children of believers are to be set apart for God's blessing. And that's what we're going to be doing later on today. But things don't end there. We are, in a sense, to keep on bringing our children to Jesus. When children are blessed in their baptism, that blessing, in large part, consists of them being placed in a home where they will be brought up in the nurture and in the training of the Lord. And so here we have uh, some... They're not... <laughs> They're not corresponding to the laws of the toddler, property laws of the toddler, but these are simply uh, some uh, pieces of advice, not just for William and Megan, but for, for all of us who are parents, and perhaps for every one of us, because we're a part of the family of God uh, here in, in Hope Church. The first point uh, in relation to bringing up our children and bringing them to Jesus uh, may not seem obvious, but it's foundational. We're to nourish our own spiritual lives. We are to keep close to the Lord. Uh, we need to be walking with Jesus so that our lives are a model for our children. Uh, they will smell hypocrisy a mile off. And if we're not walking close to the Lord, uh, we will become not an encouragement, but a deterrent to them in following the Lord. <coughs> Secondly, remember that your relationship with your spouse is the most important human relationship that you have. You will be a blessing to your children insofar as you are a good husband to your wife and a good wife to your husband. 
We never bless our children by, by smothering them and making them the object of uh, an affection which is uh, properly, primary only in the, the, the marriage relationship. And so we are to prove that uh, this relationship that we have with our wife or our husband uh, is the most important one by showing respect for our spouse and showing love and affection for him or her. Thirdly, we're to tell our children that we love them and we're to do that regularly. You know, it would be a strange thing, wouldn't it, if at the age of five, you know, we told our kid, I love you, and then for the rest of their lives, we just assumed that they knew. <laughs> we all need to be told again and again that we're loved. And how much more our children? We need to verbalize uh, our affection towards them. They need to grow up secure in that knowledge that they are loved and cared for. So tell your child that you love them. Demonstrate commitment. You know, commitment is a, a rapidly vanishing commodity amongst young people. And therefore, Christian parents need to demonstrate commitment in spadefuls. And be especially committed to that most unfashionable of communities called your church. Lots of people are committed to the local church when there's nothing better on. Or nothing more exciting, or nothing more entertaining elsewhere. But if your child sees you demonstrate rock-solid commitment to the local church, then they will be more likely to do so themselves. Five, read the Bible and pray every day with your children. That's so important, isn't it? You know, it seems, it seems that uh, some of our primary school head teachers think that it's appropriate to have drag queens brought into school to read stories to seven-year-olds that teach them about gender fluidity and homosexuality. Well, that kind of indoctrination will shape the thinking of our children unless it is counterbalanced by the sweetness of the purity of the Word of God. If they are not hearing us reading the Bible, then there will be other people who will read them stories of a very different nature. Read the Bible with your child. Demonstrate grace. Grace is at the heart of the Christian message. We are we're not saved by our works, but we're saved by faith alone in Jesus. Therefore, we need to model that. And uh, if we are secure in being saved by, by faith in Christ, then we won't be afraid to acknowledge our faults and to say sorry. And when children grow up in a family where uh, the word sorry is used often, then they will see grace modelled. Give your child responsibilities. Do whatever it takes to create uh, within uh, your child a good and godly work ethic. You know, the most unhappy people in the world today are people who hate work, who want to shy away from it all the time. We must give our children uh, responsibilities in the, the household, things that they can do. Eight, discipline your child. Remember that uh, your children struggle with sinful hearts just like you do. 
And it's our place to discipline our children. Uh, We then give them the confidence that that comes from growing up with clear boundaries and clear penalties when boundaries are transgressed. We need to demand and command respect from our children. Because think of it, uh, if your children don't respect you, whom they can see, then how can we expect them to respect God, whom they cannot see? Our children need to be brought up, uh, commanded and encouraged to respect their parents. Nine, encourage them to see that they're to live for God's glory and not their own. By, by nature, all of us, we're turned in on ourselves. And as we bring up our children uh, in godly homes, it's our duty to, to demonstrate to them that they're called to offer their lives on the altar as living sacrifices. And they're to be encouraged from an early stage to to show service within the church and out with the church. And then number 10, have kingdom priorities. As parents, we need to order our priorities uh, in the light of the fact that it's much more important to raise a child who loves Jesus than it is for them to get five uh, grade A's in their hires or to get into the hockey team. These, that's our priority. The other things may be gifted to them by God, but our focus is to encourage them to seek first the kingdom of God. So, children are to be uh, brought to Jesus to know his blessing. Uh, We are to keep on bringing our children to Jesus as we bring them up uh, in the nurture and the training of the Lord. But for all of us, and for any of you this morning who are here uh, who aren't yet Christians, Jesus is applying uh, this whole dynamic and is saying, if you are to come and if you are to receive his gift of salvation, then there's only one way that you can come, and that is like a little child. Truly I tell you, anyone who does not, will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now the question is, what's so distinctive about a child that a child becomes the model for being saved, coming to Jesus? Well, it's not because uh, they're especially humble or trustworthy. It's actually because they were really regarded as being very little. Uh, They were almost, you know, regarded as nobodies in Jesus' day. They were the bottom of the heap. Now, we have to make an adjustment because we live in a world that's very child-centric. Children are at the center of the universe, pretty much, Uh, we see that marketeers, uh, educationalists, will try to get at the adults through the children. <clears throat> That's not how it was in Jesus' day. Children had little or no social status. They weren't important. And Jesus reinforces this by sandwiching his appeal uh, for people to come to him between two incidents where we see... Uh, Two men who thought that they were important. First of all, it's a parable that Jesus told about 
a, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Now, the Pharisee was a, a very religious person. So he had all the right religious views and he did all the right religious things. And he was at the top of the pile, if you like. People thought a lot of the Pharisees. And when the man prays, we're told that he's praying about himself. He's basically reciting his good character back to God. And in Jesus' story, alongside the Pharisee in the temple, there's a tax collector. Now, if the Pharisee's at the top of the pile, the tax collector's at the bottom because he's despised, because he is in the business of raising revenue for the Roman Empire. And he's known to be a cheat. But this despised man is unable to even raise his head. And instead, he can only cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. But Jesus says that he's the one who had access to God. He's the one whom God accepts. And then on the other side of the account of the little children and Jesus, we have this encounter with the rich young ruler. Now, once again, uh, he seems to have everything going for him. Uh, he's young, uh, he is rich, and he's got a prestigious uh, position in the synagogue. He comes to Jesus with the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And as he speaks with Jesus, um, he considers himself as someone who is morally upright. He's kept the law from his earliest days, uh, and therefore... He imagines that his good life is bound to commend himself to God. And Jesus very skillfully points out to him that even his best efforts have left him coming up short. Uh, And in the end, it's his attachment to money that uh, is exposed. His money and his, his attachment to it has become a God in place of the true God. And so he went away sad. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? While the disciples want to defend Jesus from the children, because the children are nobodies, they've got no qualms about letting this rich young ruler come to Jesus. Why would they stop him? He's exactly the kind of guy that uh, we would expect Jesus would welcome. Isn't he young? He's wealthy. Think of the influence he would bring to the cause. But they've got things the wrong way around. People who come, as it were, full, like the Pharisee and the rich young ruler, go away empty and dejected and sad. And it's people who reckon on themselves as nobodies, people like the tax collector, who are accepted. And this principle is reinforced by the drama of children being brought to Jesus. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So the question, of course, is what about you this morning? If if you're not sure that you are a Christian this morning, then is your outlook preventing you coming to Jesus? Sometimes, you see, we think we're too sophisticated to come to Jesus. We don't have that childlike spirit. And the kind of things that we're, we're thinking are, are along these lines. Uh, you know, this is, this is all very primitive. Nobody speaks today, uh, in this day and age, about sin and, and hell and, and, and being saved. And lots of people in Scotland today have never read the Bible 
but they're unwilling to read it and to ask honest questions because they don't want to appear to be unsophisticated. You see, we're too sophisticated to come to Jesus. Jesus is saying, perhaps you need to drop that false sophistication and come and ask the honest questions. And sometimes people are too spiritually self-confident to come to Jesus. The Pharisee and Jesus' parable, the rich young ruler, were just like that. They, they thought that they had made the grade. They were confident uh, in their attainment. And, and lots of people today in, in secular Scotland are like that. You know, I, I, don't, I don't practice organized religion, but I think I'm good enough. That's very often uh, the way people think. God, if there is a God, will accept me because I've, I've been much more sincere than many of the people who go to church. And wouldn't it just be terrible to be thinking like that, to think that, that we've made the grade only to discover when it's too late that actually God had not accepted us because we had not come on his terms, but we had come on ours. Let me tell you a story about an, an Italian cyclist called Marco Marchetto. Uh, Marketo was competing in the Tour of Poland, which is a pretty grueling race that goes on over four days. <clears throat> and on the fourth and the final stage, the cyclists race for 177 kilometers. And the race ends with four laps of a 6.8 kilometer circuit around the, the Polish border town of uh, Siestin. And for some reason, Marketo uh, miscounted the laps and thought that he was on the final lap when there were in fact two laps to go. And he pulled away from the rest of the cyclists too early. And even though the the bell rang to tell that there was still one more lap to go, he thought that he had won and crossed the line, holding his arms above his head and blowing kisses to the crowd who were very, very confused as to what was going on. And only when he... Uh, When he stopped, did he realise that he hadn't done enough? He hadn't finished the race. But by this time, all of his momentum had gone. His legs were aching from having sprinted too early. And he was quickly overtaken by a pack of riders who were chasing him. And eventually he finished four minutes behind the winner. Now that was a terrible shock for, for Mercato. But spiritually, what an incredibly greater, devastating experience it is to reckon that you are good enough for God and to discover on the day of judgment that in fact you're not. To have been spiritually overconfident. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, don't let this message go past you. You need to admit before God that you are just like a little child in Jesus' day, that you have nothing, in a sense, to contribute apart from your rebellion and your sin and your unbelief and your need. Because such a person is actually the kind of person who is received by God, the person who comes with empty hands. Don't be so spiritually self-confident that you think that you can be good enough without Jesus. Don't be... uh, 
so sophisticated that, that you would be too proud to read the Bible for yourself and to ask the honest questions. But on the other hand, be hugely encouraged. Because the Jesus who this morning, through the word applied in his, by his Holy Spirit, who is inviting you, is the Jesus who welcomed little children. Despised children were welcomed by him. And you will find a welcome if you come. He will receive you. But you need to come like a little child. May God bless to us his precious word. To his name be praise and glory.